Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. It's officially that time of year, folks. Time for us to run back one of our favorite segments here on the Cracked Interviews Podcast. We have officially reached the NCAA Sweet 16. As such, we are officially ready to unveil our Cracked Racket Sweet 16 press row, where I will attempt to speak with one representative from Every remaining Division One team still alive in that NCAA team event. Now, in the past, we've tried to speak with head coaches exclusively. I wanted to mix things up. We've been so fortunate to speak with so many of these head coaches, not just in the past, but in this 2023 season in particular, that, again, I wanted to hear a different perspective on where each of these teams currently sit entering this Sweet 16 weekend. As such, yes, you'll hear from some head coaches, but you'll also hear from some assistant coaches. You'll hear from some players over the next few days on this podcast. As again, I try to prepare all of us college tennis fans for the start of the NCAA Sweet 16. Before we get to today's episode, have to give a massive shout out to the support we get from our friends at Turner, who not only support this podcast, they support each and every week's episode of The Deciding Point and support tennis players everywhere by providing, simply put, the best grip available on the market. There's a reason all of us as tennis fans can identify a Turner grip on someone's racket. That iconic trademark blue color, it glistens on each and every tennis court. It's utilized, of course. It's also the best in the business, the most durable. It gets tackier as you sweat. And now they've got the latest iteration of their Turner grip as well as Turner has unveiled. Turner Tough, it's just a better version of that Turner grip all of us has come to love. You can, of course, find Turner Grips wherever you shop for your tennis supplies. And look, the next time you got to change your grip, know that Turner not only provides the best in the business, they support our podcasts here as well. So the least we can ask you to do is support them also. A massive shout out to our friends at Turner. Be sure to check out the latest iteration, the Turner Tough Grip today. With that said, let's get to it. Here is an episode from our 2023 NCAA Sweet 16 press row. Joining us on the podcast somehow for the first time today is a man every college tennis fan will know as he has been instrumental in the rise of two significantly successful programs. Of course, first it was Armstrong Tennis, now it's NC State Women's Tennis, where of course he serves as the assistant coach. Welcome onto our show, Coach David Secker. Coach, how are you doing today? Doing very well. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it is my pleasure. Anytime I get to speak with the real mastermind behind Simon Earnshaw, obviously I'm thrilled for that. And again, it's been a long time coming. We've been 
I've been fortunate enough to get the chance to chat with you off mic. I'm excited to do it on mic today. And look, we can get right into it. Let's start with this past weekend, NCAA opening weekend. You guys are the number three overall seeds. You guys get two comfortable 4-0 victories over South Carolina State and Kansas. How would you assess the opening weekend of the tournament for the Wolfpack? It was good. I mean, obviously, with the high seed, we had a pretty big advantage the first day. Um, but the, the second match was interesting. I, I don't think we were expecting Kansas to be here um, geographically. You know, you, you tend to see similar teams. But Kansas is a team, certainly in the time I've been here, we've played pretty much every year, home and away. We, we didn't this last year because of a weather thing. But uh, we know them very, very well, especially Chapman. I've known for a long time. And it was interesting to see them. I thought... That match in particular, I think Kansas plays very good doubles. I think they play quite similar to us. I think we just execute a little better. And obviously with us being on our home courts, it gives us an advantage. But the doubles was good level, uh, good aggressive doubles from both sides. Um, singles, you know, they were down a player. They had a, a girl in the boot. I think was a pretty significant contributor for them. And I think you saw that a little bit down their lineup a little bit and maybe stretched our advantage out a little bit but we were we were pretty clean i think um we were a little worried you know obviously big high from a few weekends ago it's like you gotta refocus and, and get back to what you're doing but uh i, I think if you look back at it i mean to, to come away pretty efficiently uh, it was it was a good weekend for us well, you mentioned that ACC Tournament Championship hangover, and obviously I want to ask your reaction to that match in a little bit, but someone who thrived, you know, maybe I, I said it was the swing match when I talked to Simon on our podcast was Amelia Rejecki, straight set win over Carson in that ACC All American final. Yes, Amelia uh, Rejecki. I, I apologize. Respect on the name, of course. Um, she drops her opening set against South Carolina State, now obviously bounces back and gets the straight set victory against Kansas. I'm sure you were happy to see that. More broadly, were you and Simon at all afraid that there would be a little bit of a two, you know, haven't played a match in two weeks hangover? And, you know, again, what did you guys do to, you know, do you feel like the girls responded well from day one to day two? It's more physically for us. Like We're a team that plays quite a lot. Um, we try to play a, a very tough schedule, um, especially fall. We, we overplay. I think sometimes people think we have players out injured in the spring, but we we have to manage dates because of it. We, we like to play a lot, and our, our girls are used to playing a lot. So for us, it's more like the being out of the rhythm of having a weekend where we didn't play. Mm-hmm. Uh, mentally, I don't think it's an issue. I mean, all these matches are tough. Um it was more the physical rhythm of it, of being off and not having a weekend of play for us is a bit unusual. That was more our concern. A quick tangent would be why. Why do you guys have your players play so much? I know that sounds like a stupid question coming out of my mouth. Why have tennis players play a lot of tennis? But what is it about the match play that you and Simon uh, find so valuable? Well, I mean, I think we're we're a program, if you look at it, we, we discuss in our program like growth versus proficiency, like an education argument, right? I don't think traditionally here we're going to go, we're going to win a proficiency battle, let's say, against our neighbors who wear blue, right? We, we're we not going to out-recruit everybody. Things, things change as, as things improve, right? So the players have to improve. Uh, I, I do think, you know, there's a lot of hard work that goes to improvement, but you're going to improve at a faster rate in match play. You know, we know scientifically like if you're trying to to grow a game it it does happen faster in match play and a lot of times that's the difference between you know that that top level blue chip player who's come in the exposure they've had the amount of matches they played at a high level versus that player let's say one level down 
someone like Millie, who was 150 ITF versus somebody like, let's say, Prisca or Diana, who are 10, top 10, the, the difference there, you know, physically they have similar attributes, but it does take, and, and for us, as we've been playing a little bit of catch up in this program, there is that need to do it. The other thing is, well, I, I do think tennis is a around the year sport. And to, I think it's it's nice. We, we're very lucky here because we have the All-American and we have this event that we host here in Cary. We're very fortunate. But I do think for, to, to really be a high-level player, that the goals that some of our kids have, it's a year-round thing. So we, we do play a little bit on the edge with that, with the dates in the spring sometimes. And maybe it gets us a few times, you know. But I think it's worth it long run that they get the extra matches at a high level. How helpful is it for you guys in preparing for this weekend, Sweet 16, to have that match at home? And I'm curious, how do you feel about host site versus final site as the host for the Sweet 16? It's a huge advantage to be at home. Um, I mean, to be honest, I was I was shocked Auburn beat Miami, not on level, um, and obviously UCLA and Duke, not on level, but just on location. Um, it's a huge advantage to be at home. Um, you know, we... You probably know a bit about our pro. We, we track everything. If you look at like recovery and, and things like that, when we're at home, the difference of sleeping in your bed and being in your own environment is enormous. If I had my vote, I, I like the Sweet 16 format personally. I think in, in tennis, to make the Sweet 16, that's like the sign that you've had a very high level season. That's like the mark in tennis, I think. And these super regionals, I mean, I think, you know, we had a good one last year, but and hopefully we, we're going to get a good group out again this year. But I, I like the Sweet 16 personally, if, if I was voting. how I talked about this with Simon, but I'm curious your perspective. I know how analytics-driven you guys try to be at NC State. How frequently are you monitoring the rankings, not just, you know, again, team-wise, but I'm sure singles and doubles as well, and how much are you guys scheming the schedule? Because it does feel like in the end it can be a game of math. The rankings, uh, we do that in the fall. Like, okay. our, our fall event, just look at it. I mean, it's <laughs> the plus one for listeners yeah, that the, don't. Know. We, our, our ranked event is is an absolute rig job, but um, <laughs> the rest of it, we just try to play the best schedule. So we we looked at it last year. I mean, obviously we've had a good relationship. With Texas, they were number one. Oklahoma was two. That was a no brainer. You know, we're, we're fortunate with the ACC. We have you know, like UNC. I think was probably three. There was a moment where we were gonna play Pepperdine. Um, so if you looked at it starting starting at the start of last year, we were going to play the top five, and then we were six, I think. So we, we're trying to play. Yeah, we we want to play absolutely the best teams. That's always been our thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, and I mean it bears fruit, obviously, in seeing the results you guys have had, and you know, looking at the numbers for listeners who haven't followed every match as closely as perhaps we have here at Crack Rackets. You guys now twenty five and four overall. I want to say you're one win away from matching the program record or tying it and I always joke around with Simon it's like it, what are the records left that you haven't set because I think he's the winningest coach and it took him seven years to get there in program history and you know he's got of course a one-liner in response to things like that which you always enjoy hearing but you know you were someone who you've been with Simon in this journey you guys had successful teams at Armstrong that won national championships you guys are coming off of an ACC conference tournament title first in program history of course congrats where you beat the number one undefeated team in UNC and so I guess personally just as a coach who's been around teams that have been really good 
Does this team have it? Like, does this team, do you have that feeling again in your stomach, those butterflies of, hey, this team is national championship good? Oh, oh for sure. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we can win. And, and I think um, the, the more the days stretch out, the more it favors us. We, we feel our advantage is physical. But it, the, the difference between what you're talking about with Armstrong is that doesn't mean we're going to get past Auburn. The difference at this level, uh, Division Two was very high level, but there was not as many good teams. The depth is not even close. Like, you look at it uh, going into this weekend, we we were thinking, okay, look, you would assume Miami's favorite. We lost to Miami. You would assume Duke is favorite. We lost to Duke. Auburn just beat Duke, uh, Miami at Miami. We, we've only done that once in the history of this school. And it was an experience to beat them down there. So, you know, Auburn's coming here and I mean, yeah, we, we have the level to win national titles, but that doesn't mean we're going to get through Auburn. And I, I think it's a huge mistake. That that's And that's the fun of it, right? Is the depth is better in women's tennis now where people can beat people. Um, and, you know, there's a reason I haven't seen you this year. And you, we, we talk <laughs> off camera, never properly, but it's because we didn't make the indoors. Yeah. We didn't make the indoors because Vandy beat us here and, you know, Vandy maybe have had some struggles after that, but they're good. I mean, they're, they can play. Yeah. You know, it's it's nice to see the depth in some of these upsets. As a fan of college tennis, as a fan of te- tennis in general, because obviously you were at an academy uh, prior to getting back into college tennis, you played at Armstrong. We're going to get into you and Simon, the genesis of that, I promise. But as a fan of college tennis, watching those upsets, it didn't occur to me until you just said it. Duke was in your section of the draw. Miami was in your section of the draw. What's going through your head as you watch all of that unfold? I, I was surprised. I mean, I really was surprised, but then it, it's positive, right? Because it means more teams are doing better, which is ultimately a better product, which means it should elevate the status, right? Like it's, you want to have your marquee teams that are really pushing the brand forward, but then you also want to have parity where it's competitive, but people want to watch competitive things, right? Mm-hmm. And you talk about marquee brands and faces of the sport. Obviously, the press that's come with Diana Schneider being a top 100 player, having her in college tennis, what that's meant for the sport certainly seems to have put a highlighted attention, a uh, certain uh, brighter spotlight on it. I do want to ask you, there was like, I want to say a three-day stretch where you were kind of the face of college tennis because who was seated in that Australian Open player box? It was Coach David Secker with his NC State logo shining brightly, may I, may I say. Um, what was that experience like for you? And what has this whole genesis been, you know, feeling the attention Diana's gotten? What do you think that does for the sport? I hope it's positive. Yeah. I mean, I, I've heard, you know, obviously I came, I came on a different path to Division One tennis. And uh, you hear this word development a lot and the selling that this is a pathway to the pros, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the rub against it, maybe on the other side is players feel like, okay, well, if I come to college, I'm giving up on that. So, well, here you go. You know, p- people got what they wanted. Mm-hmm. And I th- hopefully the fact that it worked out and, and she got, you know, that Diana and her family got what they wanted out of this as well, where they, they didn't go backwards. And they, and they got to where they wanted to be and, and they got where they imagined they can be. Hopefully, I, I hope other programs are telling the next Diana Schneiders, hey, we can do this. Um, obviously, we'll tell them, no, no, only we can do it. But, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hope it's a positive. I, I hope it's a positive. You know, the, the attention stuff, 
you know, I, I've been on the road a lot with that young lady this year, the past 12 months, but it's, we're, we're more focused on the hitting the ball stuff, but mm-hmm. I, I hope that they can see that college is, is an absolutely a path. And if it's done right, there's no reason that we can't be putting players in grand slams. I, I believe that. What are your emotions during the soccer match? Are you like, oh, she might win, and then you're like, whoa, wait, don't win, but like win, but maybe don't win. Like, what what's going through your head? Uh, I, I think you know, Simon. I'm not the greatest social media person. Right? <laughs> I have nothing against social media, but it's just not, it's just not me. You know, I think it's awesome what you guys do and, and what you're doing for the sport. But yeah, Simon's like, well, people are saying this and people are saying that. I could. I can probably the only people who weren't talking about that stuff was us. Like we <laughs> yeah. talking about the next thing and the next practice and this, that, and the other. But no, Australia was a was a roller coaster. You know, she had a bad performance in New Zealand. She was nervous. Like she had an awful. If you look back now, like the loss in New Zealand was like, come on. <laughs> I got. I, I met up with her in Melbourne. Um, she was nervous. I mean, it's the first Grand Slam. She's 18 years old. She was nervous. She, We set the goal really after the first couple of days. Was just like, can we get through one hour practice? Like it, it was, and she, and she responded extremely well. You know, the first round of qualifying is, is terrifying. It's a long way to go for a little bit of exercise if you lose. The second round, she played Montgomery, who she has an incredible amount of respect for, who took her apart in Midland mm-hmm. a few months earlier. And she played fantastic in that the third round was like a dream i mean she could she was just the relief of beating montgomery took it out of her but i tell you what as i will say this as, as a i've coached at a few different levels and some decent players over my years but the first round tension of a grand slam is oof, when you're in the locker room or the you know, the warm-up area i mean it is i don't care if people think these these top players aren't nervous i mean there isn't a word spoken yeah. You are. It is so. She got through that round. She played Kuchova, um, and actually, I will say with Sakri, she was quite loose. Mm-hmm. It was kind of this relief to we'd managed another one of these like dire days, you know, of, of fear and this and that. Sakri, she was actually quite loose. She was actually almost late getting to the court. <laughs> if you actually ever see the match, she's she's looking for me. <laughs> the match started because. She screwed up her rackets and I had to go back and do them. And she's a lefty, so I had to tape them the other way. And then I had to run them to the ball boy. I didn't make the security checkpoint to get up. So I was actually, <laughs> I was in the nosebleeds for the first two games. And she's yelling at the umpire, like, where's my coach? And like, yeah. he's, like well, he's not in the box. <laughs> so I, I couldn't get down in the box until the third game because of what happened. So it was actually like, it was a weird day, but she, she just, she enjoyed it. I think it's, it's the, one of the hardest things is with all this going on is that sense of enjoyment. And she, I think she enjoyed playing Sakari. Mm-hmm. And, and- um, Well, don't, not to interrupt you, I apologize, but in that theme, and I know you've gotten so many Diana questions this year, so I apologize for beating on that bush again, but the development for her, because I want to ask how her being there helps her teammates in a second, but from her perspective – what you know because you have been along the journey the whole way and i talked about this with simon as well like watching her play outdoor clay in charleston versus watching her play indoor hard courts in say the lightning quick courts of columbus like there's still some development to go despite how big she hits the ball and i'm curious what you've seen from the development from her throughout her time in college tennis how you think that has helped 
Oh, yeah. I mean, this is it's one of the big reasons she came. I mean, she was told very specifically by a coach who has a connection to us that you've got to learn some things in your game. I mean, the serve, number one. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was hitting a double fall every four second serves when she came here. Uh, she, she, she had success in doubles, but it's junior doubles, you know, somebody's going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's, she's in obviously pairing up with Alana has been a very positive experience for her. Those two get along very well. And she respects Alana and, you know, Alana's helped her a lot, but no, to, to develop that she's 18. When she came to us, she's 18. And one of the first conversations with you, you double your life. You're 36. You could still be playing tennis. Yeah. Like if you can't improve your backhand volley in the next 18 <laughs> years, like you've got a problem. Um, <laughs> there are huge parts of the game that she she had to address. and But that was, she came here with a plan. The recruiting with her was not, what are we going to do? What's the deal? What's this? She just w- wanted to know, what would you do? If, if, if you were going to coach me this year, what would you do? And and why would you do that? And and that was the recruiting. And, and she, she agreed. And mum, Especially, the father was a big part of it. But I haven't communicated as much with the dad, but just what's the plan? And 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 that's really been the conversations. I mean, I know there are a lot of other conversations that go on, but sure. that's not what's going on on, on the court. You know, there, there are there, we have to deal with other stuff sometimes, and sometimes we do well with it, sometimes we don't. But it's it's more about the tennis, and she really enjoys the tennis piece. You know, the other side of the equation. What does it do for Alana? Amelia, Abigail, Sophie, all these players to have that ball in practice every day. And just, again, like, I almost wanted to ask who is the first person to be like, no, I get to hit with Diana today. On the flip side, I had someone in my life who was my Diana Schneider, shout out Max Rothman, uh, who was my doubles partner through club tennis in college. And he'd always get mad at me because he'd be like, you want to warm up? And I would say, under no circumstances am I warming up with you because you hit this massive ball and it's 8 a.m. and I'd like some rhythm. So like, no, I'm not hitting with you. Uh, I, like wh- Again, what's it, what's it do for the rest of the team? Well, I mean, it, socially it was easy because she's a yeah. pretty easygoing kid. We, we've got some good characters. Like yeah. socially we're a pretty easygoing team, you know, like we. It's a fun group. Yeah, yeah, we we talk like we. No one's. I don't care what your rank it is. You you'll get chopped down as an eighteen year old. Yeah, but uh, she struggled in practice at first. Um, she was not. You would not look at the lineup and say, "Well, that's well, that girl's different," you know. Yeah. And we had to have a meeting about it and just say, "Look, you, you, there's a certain standard you have to get up to. No different to any freshman." Um, overall, for the team, I think it. it I think it's helped them to. I think exposure is huge. Yeah. You know, one of the things in tennis is the, the top players, the top juniors, you just don't have that much access to them. So you do, you always know what they're doing. Um, but I think for, you know, I give you, you mentioned Charleston, right? Yeah. We have clay courts five minutes from my office here with the university club. Mm-hmm. We, we go train on the, she wants to go train on the clay. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if Abigail's out there for two hours with her, and yeah, I think Diana was horrific that day in practice on the clay. You know, and Abigail's you know taking her apart and having to like. I think Diana got upset because she, she missed something. Diana goes like, "Stop acting like an idiot!" You know, do, do this, do that, and then she'll go out and be you know a Kudamatova. Yeah. So when Shelley like, you know, like, yeah. it, it's exposure, um, but it's also like understanding that we're not. She's not working on anything different they're working on. She may be ahead of it or she may be picking it up faster, 
but the, the, they're all getting the same information. And I think maybe what people think sometimes is it's like, well, the number eight or the walk-on gets this information and the number one or two, well, they get this information. No, no, no. Like my, my six-year-old is getting the same information. <laughs> it's, it's tennis and it's, it's, so I think for them, it's helped to realize that, but, and also they've had to deal with a little bit of the attention mm-hmm. and they've had to deal with a little bit of the uncertainty sometimes like, okay, if she beats this girl, she might not be back in time. If she doesn't beat this girl, then, then she is back. And, and, and then we had the eligibility stuff. There was a lot of this, that, and the other, but it's, it, I can see from the outside how disruptive it looks yeah. that it's that they're, they're all 18, 19, 20 year olds. Like mm. once they get off the court and they go to dinner, they're, they're all the same, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, to that end, you talk about everyone gets that same development. Is there anything in the development? I mentioned the record earlier. You guys are 25 and four overall, 120 and 35 in dual match singles play, 57 and 14, another great year on the doubles court as well. Is there anything you guys are further ahead in this year? Anything about the success that surprised you? Because obviously, again, you beat North Carolina in the ACC tournament final. I know NCAA tournament's still active, but anything about this season surprise you? Uh, it's been one of those seasons, Alex, honestly, I've been so busy this year with travel where it's like we haven't like grounded ourselves. I think when we look back, what we'll say is one, the Alana. I mean, the last time I saw you, yeah. I think I was feeding Alana in a chair in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I mean, for Alana, you know, she had the second the, the surgery and then we waited and then it didn't go. I mean, this time last year, she was still in a boot, me feeding her a thousand, twelve hundred balls sitting in a chair. So for her to get back to our highest ranking that she's been in singles, I don't know if it's surprising, but I'm really happy about it. Like Lars is such a big part of this program, and I, I've spent years of my life with that girl. Um, but I'm very happy t- that she's back to where I think she deserves to be. And, and it's not people get confused by her because of the way she walks. She's very laid back. They think she's not into it. She's totally into it. Okay. I think when we look back at the season with what Rejecki and Abrams were able to do. Um, uh, Sophie had a little wobble there for a few weeks, but if you look at the way she started the season and, and what she's been on the last few weeks, those two really put the work in. You know, Rencelli, probably people say a little bit, oh, it's surprising. Did she go backwards? You know, she dealt with an injury at the end of the fall. The injury has made massive progress, which is a positive. Yeah. And maybe you can feel like it's not a positive because maybe she's not at the exact same spotlight she was at this time last year. But no, a surprising part would probably be like, I, I hopefully we look back and you realize, well, how the numbers they put up, because you can sometimes feel like last year we had that ranking of two, like the whole year. It's like, well, well we better look. And surprise, no, hopefully people look at those three. I mean, Diana, it's, it's such an easy story, right? Mm-hmm. I think those three, what they've done this year is, uh, I don't know if it's surprising, but I'm certainly very pleased with it. Um, it's very rewarding, I would say. Well, you mentioned Alana. Obviously, she's been there for it all, that through line, really, of the growth in your program. To send her off as an ACC Conference Tournament champion, to get that victory over UNC, what do you see from your team? What does it mean to the program? It's big. Yeah, I think it's it's uh, it's like a validation, right? Uh, I think people would say for the last few years we've been a very good program. People respect the growth and, and what we've done, but 
I think you, you you do need to have those signature victories where people say, yeah, it's, it's more than just like they're pretty tough to play, you know, or they give a good effort. Like they're they can they can get over the line um, in a big moment. And the ACC, the status it's had um, as a conference the last few years with the women, I think it's I think it's fair to say we've been the toughest conference the last few years. So if, if you win that, you know, it's we talk about in soccer. Is it harder to win the World Cup or the European Cup? Is the European Cup pound it's, for pound is tough. Uh, yeah, probably more efficient. The, the World Cup is more prestigious, but the yeah. European is, is harder to win. So, yeah, That's it's and and the other thing is we've been bad at the ACC tournament. <laughs> we've been bad. So yeah, it was it was a huge moment, and to do it in Kerry with with the people and 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 UNC to their credit as well, that their fans made it a, a really great environment to play tennis. So. To have that moment at home, well, not home, but here is is awesome. Yeah, it was it was a validation, I think. And for Simon, you know, I think it's a big. It's it's. I think it's nice when people get you know he gets to, to get up there and talk in front of people. I always like to see him get a little nervous and then get aggressive. It's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you bring up Simon. You started your career as a player at Armstrong in 2003. Um, thankfully, there weren't cameras available back then, so none of us have to watch it. Um, but 20 years with Simon Earnshaw now. I assume you guys have filed joint papers just for tax purposes in some court somewhere because that is a lifelong relationship. What is it about Simon that, you know, again, you clearly admire and have wanted to work with for so long? And what does it mean to, again, be by his side for this entire rise and accomplish this together? I mean, I'm I'm his biggest fan in that regard. I, I, you know, I, People think Division Two. I'm so glad we're doing this Division Two, Division Three thing this year. <laughs> I, it's going to be awesome. But people think like, you know, he won nine national titles in Division Two. Yeah, but that's not Division One. Like, good luck. Like, yeah. You, you you win a national title in uh, chess. Yeah. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Like I always thought of it the opposite. I would love to see people come down to Division Two try and beat us. Like good try with the same resources these things you know like a guy like chad berryhill at st leo go down there and try and play them with those georgia rules. gwinnett a powerhouse like nothing we've seen any of them like yeah. it's different it's different rules it's different this but don't ever belittle someone who becomes at that level and you know I, I was obviously with him as a player you know he survived coaching me <laughs> um but helping him, I also got to see, you know, in the summers what he was going through with the job searches. And it was it was frustrating because people were coming to him because obviously he was winning. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't genuine, a lot of it. And for me, obviously, I was very happy that he got here, people who saw what could be. But beyond that, it's not just to be a Division One coach. Mm-hmm. But to actually do well at being a Division One coach is what's important. And so for me, my perspective of this, probably myself and his wife have the, the best perspective on this for him. It's it's more just seeing him get the recognition that he should have got 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Nothing really changed. Mm-hmm. It's just all of a sudden people catching up and say, oh, yeah, this guy seems to know what he's doing, right? But now that's the enjoyable part for me is is to see it's a, it's been a long journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I And I've seen some of the disappointments firsthand and they were bad. Some of it was was borderline like unethical i thought and uh to, to for him to come full circle now with that is, is very rewarding 
The only thing that's changed is the color of the tracksuit and the location of the school. I agree. He's not, he's not as intense as he used to be. You, <laughs> you would know. He's way more mellow than he used to be. Yeah, well, then we'll save that for the next podcast we have with you. Last three questions, I'm going to ask them to every coach. So know that you're not the only one who's going to get in trouble by answering them honestly. First and foremost, 16 teams remaining in the D1 Women's Tournament. I asked this to every coach before the National Indoors. We got some really good answers. So for listeners, I'm running this question back. Is there a definitive title favorite right now on the women's side? Yes. Is it you guys? Yes. (laughs) Okay, make the case. I I, I wouldn't want to play us. I, I have all the respect in the world. I, I'm not sure we get through Auburn, but I, I feel like we are the favorites. I feel like we've got control of things right now, um, but that doesn't guarantee the, I, I don't know if we're um, the favorite thing. I just don't think it matters. But if, if I was betting money, you know, day to day, what I see, I think the way we're going and uh, the way things are going, I, yeah, I would bet on us. All right, I like to hear that. Is there a team, a coach, a player outside of your program this year that has particularly impressed you? Just curious. Alexa Noel, I think, um, with what happened to her, you know, she played Alana the match before she got injured at NCAA's. And then she was out for a while. And then there was obviously the transfer situation. And, you know, you know, Alexa's a character, right? And I think people maybe say, oh, well, you know, is that going to work? How's that going to go? Well, <laughs> went pretty well. Yeah. She's, again, like Alana, been out for a year. She's come back. I mean, she's played in a very tough conference at number one. And she's, if she's not our conference player of the year, I, I don't know, something's going wrong in our conference office because she's, she had that one match where she dropped it, at, I think at Syracuse, unusual. Uh, result maybe, but uh, I think fantastic what she's been able to do and what Paige and um, they've they've been able to do down there to get her back to where she was. And I I think better than she was, to be honest. Yeah, no, I appreciate the candidness. Well, then last question. Next season's the last normal fall. Obviously, the individual tournament moving to the fall in 2024. Do you guys change how you approach this upcoming fall in preparation for 2024? Are you going to climb that bridge when you get there? Have you not even thought about it? I'm curious what your perspective is. No, we're thinking about it because, um, you know, for example, like our ranked spotlight tournament, right? Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's a big deal. It has a huge effect on NCAAs. If you look at the people who participate in that versus getting into NCAA qualification, but when you go into the fall proceeding, the fall after next, I don't think it's going to be an NCAA qualifying event because it has to be open draw and you're not going to meet some of the criteria. So we're having to figure out what's the best way to format things to make sure everything we're using is going to be meeting that that criteria. So yeah, we're we're working on that diligently. I'm I'm I mean, obviously I'm sure you've talked to Simon about this. We're we're big in favor of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do like what we have to do here, but the 17, 18 days we've been through the last few times we've been down there, it's, it's way too much uh, to me. And also just the withdrawals. Like I, I just don't think if you're on a team that does well, you should be penalized going into the individual tournament. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's the way it should work. And I think ultimately a national championship should be the best people in their best moments. I think if you separate the two, when you have the singles and doubles in the fall, you're going to get people at their best. And I think that's that's the point with it, yeah. But we are, we are looking at how 
how that criteria is going to line up. Yeah. No, I mean, again, I agree with you. The plus one event is one of my uh, that event that you guys host in the fall is one of the kickoff events of the fall. It means things are rocking and rolling, and yeah, it is going to be fascinating to see how it all unfolds and what adjustments are made even as soon as this fall. That said, obviously. All of us excited for the home stretch of this 2023 season. All of us excited to see what the Wolfpack are capable of achieving. And if you'll allow me to say it, what you and Simon have done, obviously at NC State, if it's not the best, it's as good as any coaching job we see right now in the country. And I'm not trying to break up the dynamic duo, but all I'm saying is you should be a head coach somewhere in the very near future, my friend. You are outstanding at your job. And again, what you guys are doing Everyone admires it. Appreciate your tolerance of all of my nonsense in particular as well. And you always have a spot on this show. So thank you for taking the time to chat today. Well, thank you for having me. And thank you for what you're doing. Um, I'm going to be honest. I haven't watched as much as I should have, maybe enough. <laughs> but I asked my my social media expert, Alana Smith, today. I said, how is this podcast? She said, it's excellent. She said it watches it every week. She's a big fan of yours. She says the other guy's mad because uh, he picked us early and we were we were screwing it up or something. Yeah. So hopefully we made him happy in the last few weeks. I don't know. He's, she said he's mad at us. But no, I mean I I appreciate that. You got me. I've I've talked to you a lot off this, but uh, anytime you want me, we're here. But uh, what you're doing and and how you're trying to do it to grow the sport is greatly appreciated. And it's not easy. It's we we make ourselves difficult sports sometimes. We get in our own way. But uh, it is important to have the people like you who are pushing it. And we appreciate that. It's, it's not going unnoticed. I appreciate it. Well, since you all have players who are going to be in the individuals no matter what, I'll just be honest. The reason I complimented you, first round's on you in Orlando, my friend. That's the only reason why. Um, but no, I appreciate that. And again, thank you for taking the time to chat. Good luck to you in the Wolfpack this weekend. And looking forward to seeing you down in Orlando. Thank you, boss. I'll see you soon, huh? Yeah, yeah thank you. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hope all of you enjoyed this edition of our 2023 NCAA Sweet 16 Press Row. A massive thank you to every player and coach who participated in this series. We're all excited for the home stretch of the 2023 NCAA season. Hopefully these episodes help all of you feel more prepared for the impending action. Speaking of which, if you need to catch up on anything that's happened in this NCAA tournament, Tuesday, Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern time, we'll have episodes of The Deciding Point recapping everything that that's happened to date. Of course, we'll also have coverage of the Sweet 16 Friday, Saturday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. We'll have coverage of the quarterfinals of the D1 event. We're also going to start to work in some D2, D3 coverage as well. So rest easy, college tennis fans. We have you covered with coverage of everything that'll happen down the stretch of this 2023 season. Of course, a shout out here at Crack Rackets to the man who makes all of that possible. Our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who has a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out. A shout out as well to our dear friends at Turna for their support 
Turner Tough, best grip in the business. You can find it wherever you shop for your tennis supplies today. With all of that said, for our fantastic guest, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Turner, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. Talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>